My grandmother's name was Ray. Ray Gray, once she was married, she was small and feisty and valued precision, which is a good quality in an operating room nurse, which she was. She taught me to sew and to meet, to eat as many different colored foods as possible. She was a practical woman. And one of her favorite stories to tell was about her honeymoon. This was in 1944, and she and my grandfather had taken a bicycle trip across Canada. They were Canadian. And as the story goes, they biked 100 miles a day on their single-speed bikes. Family lore. (laughs) But, But one day, they were riding through torrential rain, and in the midst of the endless storm, the wheel came up off my grandfather's bike. And so they found themselves stranded on the side of the road with no help in sight. This was before cell phones. But then, as Grace would have it, there was a wrench lying in the mud on the side of the road just where they had stopped. A wrench that fit the size of the nut on the wheel And my grandparents were able to fix that bike and carry on with their journey and keep telling that story decades later to their granddaughters who would keep telling the story. Last night we had our annual First Parish Seder to celebrate Passover. And Seder is a dinner in which Jews tell the story of Exodus together. The Haggadah is a book that's used for the Seder liturgy, and the word Haggadah means telling, because the ritual is one of telling the story of Passover from generation to generation. It's a way of creating and sharing Jewish identity, and it's typically done at home. Seder isn't a ritual held in a synagogue. It's a feast held amongst family, and it's intentionally intergenerational. The Haggadah we used for our Seder last night begins this way. Passover is meant to be a moment in time when time is collapsed. We tell the Exodus story not simply to learn it or to ponder the questions it poses, but to remember it, to know it in our bones as if we, too, had been slaves on that journey toward freedom. Because we are not slaves, because we are not hungry or thirsty or in exile, we celebrate Passover as a sign that the bounty in our lives must feed our commitment to choose the journey toward freedom and peace for ourselves, for others, and for the future. When I think of Passover, I think of the joy and warmth of community, of jubilee and sweetness, storytelling and hope. Passover is the time when Jews gather together and tell the story of the ancient Israelites leaving Egypt, escaping slavery, and finding liberation. It's a story that says, we are a people who made it through. The joy isn't born from some naive story about how perfect everything is or was. It's born from the struggle of holding hard truths 
and resilience and possibility all at the same time. It's a story that we embody in food and ritual. At a Passover Seder like the one we had here last night, we eat bitter herbs to remember the bitterness of slavery. We eat matzah to remember the Israelites fleeing before the bread could rise for the journey. And like Howard pointed out last week when he was preaching on Easter, I'm not really concerned with whether or not the story of Exodus actually happened. I'm interested in what it means, and what it means to keep retelling the story. I know some of you have been to a Seder nearly every year of your life, and others of you might be hearing about it for the first time. So we'll get into the story today. The book of Exodus is quite long, so I won't relay all of it to you this morning, and it's roughly divided into four parts. The first is the story of the enslavement of the Israelites in Egypt and their liberation. The second is their journey through the desert to Sinai. The third is when Moses receives those Ten Commandments. And the fourth is the story of the golden calf and instructions for building the temple. And during the Passover Seder, the storytelling focuses mostly on those first two parts of Exodus— the liberation of the Israelites from Egypt, and the journeying through the desert. The story begins with the Israelites being enslaved by the Pharaoh in Egypt and Moses' early life. Amy shared the scene of Moses at the burning bush and him becoming the prophet. Then there's this funny series of events in which Moses tries to convince God that he really probably shouldn't be the prophet, and maybe God should choose somebody else. He tries to come up with a bunch of excuses, but to no avail. I appreciate how human he is. But God just gets annoyed with Moses, and then gives him a magical staff and says, this is for performing the signs and the wonders. And next come the plagues. God tells Moses that the Israelites will be released from slavery, but that Moses has to go convince Pharaoh to cooperate. Which basically entails trying to convince someone who thinks that they are God, that they are in fact not God, and should liberate the entire people group they're exploiting for financial gain. Time collapses when we tell the story. So Moses goes to Pharaoh with his brother Aaron and his magical staff and insists that the Israelites be released. They turn the staff into a snake as a sign of their power, but Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He's not impressed, and he refuses to let the Israelites go. What ensues is a battle between Moses acting on behalf of God and Pharaoh in the form of ten plagues. Each time Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, or else this plague will come upon all the people of Egypt. And Pharaoh keeps saying no. It begins with Moses turning the Nile into a river of blood. Then come frogs, Then gnats, then flies, dead livestock, boils, 
Then thunder and hail, locusts and darkness. Still, Pharaoh refuses. Then comes the warning of the tenth and final plague. And this is where we get the name Passover. The tenth plague is the death of every firstborn in the land, human and animal alike. But before the plague happens, God hatches an escape plan for the Israelites. They are to mark their doors with the blood of a sacrificed lamb and gather up their belongings by midnight to prepare for the journey. At midnight, the angel of death passes over the houses that have been marked by blood, so the Israelites are spared from the final plague. And in the morning, Pharaoh wakes up and realizes that every firstborn in the entire land is dead, just like Moses had warned. So he casts the Israelites out of Egypt, releasing them from slavery. But the story doesn't end there, because now all 600,000 Israelites have to actually leave Egypt on foot, through the desert. And the story says that God leads them on this roundabout route through the wilderness to avoid a war in the land of the Philistines because God feared that the people might return to Egypt if they were faced with war. So the journey is long. And God leads the Israelites through the wilderness to the Red Sea. But there's one final scene in this face-off between Pharaoh and Moses. Because Pharaoh regrets freeing the Israelites, and so he gathers up an army of chariots to chase them down. And they meet at the edge of the Red Sea. But Moses still has that staff that God gave him for performing wonders. And as the chariots start to close in on the Israelites, Moses raises that staff and parts the Red Sea. The Israelites find safe passage, and Pharaoh's army is swallowed by the closing waves. In the end, the parting of the Red Sea isn't only to convince Pharaoh of the power of God, it's also to convince the Israelites of the power of God. A God who helps them escape slavery, a God who will provide manna in the desert so they can survive the journey. In the book of Job, God is depicted as a whirlwind, as a force of nature. And in Exodus, it is Pharaoh's refusal to treat the Israelites as free and equal people. It is the violent exploitation of people and resources that unleashes this force of nature. It is as if the whirlwind of God is challenging Pharaoh to take natural disasters seriously and repent from a way of life that values consumption and wealth and power above all else, no matter how destructive it is. Pharaoh keeps refusing and refusing and refusing But empire cannot control the force of nature.
Monday was Earth Day. I wonder if Pharaoh's sin is sounding familiar. Time collapses when we tell the story. One of the things that I find missing when we talk about environmental justice is hope. And I will say that I can be guilty of this sometimes. But an absence of hope is death to the moral imagination and agency that is necessary for meaningful change. And this is why I find the ritual of retelling the story of Exodus during Passover so powerful. Because it is a story of struggle and survival and being aided by forces beyond our imagination. And the retelling is joyful and sweet and hopeful. It's a story passed down from generation to generation, a gathering of family and friends that creates connection and resilience. What are the stories you tell of our resilience as a people? People who find tools in the mud and food in the desert, people who find safe passage, stories of making it through. Because I think there is power in the retelling. And not all of us celebrate Passover, but we do all have stories. Stories of death passing over us. Stories of our ancestors' journeys. Stories of resisting the call but finding some unknown strength to keep showing up. These are stories not of our own grandeur or self-determination, but of our interconnectedness, of the grace that gets us through. And it's important to tell them, to remember our human capacity for resilience, to know in our bones that we are creatures knit together, creatures dependent on the force of nature and to live accordingly. Keep telling the story. Amen.